I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Sabrina Mado, political columnist for the National Post. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Today on the show, is Justin Trudeau a tyrant who's trying to crush free speech? Or could Elon Musk possibly be misinformed about a complicated piece of CRTC legislation. Elon Musk, misinformed? Never. Also, Elon Musk, does he really give a damn about a complicated piece of CRTC regulation? Or does he just enjoy shitting on Justin Trudeau? Which, like, you know, fair. It's a national pastime these days. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everybody by Chris Stone, Paul Lindela, Virginia Gamero, Curtis Robichaud, Deborah Wilson, Chris Fergola, Dave Fultz, and Tim. Hi, I'm Tim Lindsay. I'm a theater artist, a college instructor, and a podcaster. I looked it up, and I think today I'm recording this nine years to the day since I first started listening to Jesse on Canada Land, interviewing David Soknacki, whose mayoral campaign I was volunteering for. Ever since then, I've been informed, entertained, and occasionally infuriated by each one of the Canada Land Network podcasts. Very excited to see where the network goes next. Thank you. Okay, Sabrina, I guess this began when the CRTC, earth-shaking stuff here, they put out the first two of like 24 promised pieces of like regulation information about how Bill C-11 is going to play out. And Glenn Greenwald... Friend of the show's taken an interesting turn since. Uh, he he picked that up and he tweeted, 
you know, this idea that like, oh, there's going to be a registry for podcast companies. So he tweets, the Canadian government armed with one of the world's most repressive online censorship schemes announces that all online streaming services that offer podcasts must formally register with the government to permit regulatory controls. Elon Musk then takes that and quote tweets it. And he says, Trudeau is trying to crush free speech in Canada. Shameful. That's the story here. I happen to know a little bit about Bill C-11. And, you know, I feel a responsibility to the public to say when people might be misrepresenting things. Absolutely. And so I, I said, you know, look, I hate this stupid law, but no, Trudeau is not trying to crush free speech in Canada. Sabrina, that elicited a certain number of responses. I'm sure it did. I'll share a few of them here. Uh, you know, I really like just online discourse. And Elon Musk's fans responded when I said, you know, no, he's not trying to crush free speech. AK said, wake up, bro. Yes, he is. Johnny Oil said, wow, the bought and bribed Justin Journo Canadian media cesspool just gets dumber by the day with their blackface bozo idol worship. Unreal. That's a mouthful. Knucklehead 2 said, the lib check is in the mail, dude. Van Wilder said, you're such a cuck, it hurts. Well, Van Wilder said it. Bfan777 said, you dumb fuck. Why not just tell the world up front how dumb you are rather than writing tweets that show it? Saul the Waterboy said, hey, fat boy, we don't have free speech in this country. Hate speech laws do not mean we have free speech. I don't understand. Warsaw Willie said, you are another commie ball washer. Trudeau must have a clean sack. Sabrina, these are all astute observations and an excellent batch of questions. And I think that each one merits, you know, a thoughtful response. Of course. I did receive 902 more of them. Wow. So you had a really fun day on Twitter. I did. And, I, you know, time limits. I, you know, what, what I'm going to do is you and I will just take them all together and, and try to explain what Bill C-11 actually <laughs> is. And then, you know, what I'll do is I'll go back to these people and I'll say, you can listen to this podcast if, you, if you're curious about my thoughts on this. And I'm sure that we'll have a much more... I'm sure we'll have very reasonable discourse. Yeah, it'll go from there. Is Justin Trudeau trying to crush free speech in Canada? No. If you look at what the act actually does, it's supposed to be an update of the Broadcast Act, and they're applying it. Originally, they said, to the major streaming giants and social media networks, and now it's come out this week that it's also going to apply to podcast networks, um, to adult sites, a whole range of different online platforms that weren't originally included in this bill. The idea is, in the spirit of the Broadcast Act, to update it and apply it to the online world with the idea of promoting Canadian content and uh, diversity, linguistic duality. Now, I think this is problematic. I don't think it's a censorship bill where he's banning certain words or ideas, but can it stifle free expression and lead to, I'd say, even democratic backsliding online? Yeah, there's an argument for that. I want to figure out exactly what that argument is. And I think that everything you said sounded pretty correct to me. But I think the last piece, like, what does this mean in practical application for those of us who are just making stuff online? I'll add to your summary of it to say, like, you know, where does this come from? Is this come from Trudeau the tyrant wanting to crush? No, like, this comes from Bell, Rogers, legacy broadcasters in Canada, who I think had, like, a somewhat legitimate gripe. They were like, look, we have to make... Canadian TV shows by law. We have to pay into the system and then we have to make these Canadian TV shows. But our big competitor here, Netflix, Disney, et cetera, et cetera, they don't. That's not fair. I think that's a legitimate gripe. And, you know, the government might have said, oh, yeah, you no longer have to make Canadian TV shows. 
You know, the reason for us forcing you to do that is long past. Canadians are making tons of their own stuff online, not just TV shows, but like, you know, we don't have to have that kind of protectionism. That would have been the easy route. But then you'd have the writer's union and the actor's union and all the TV production companies and lots of famous people and their friends in Hollywood bashing. And yeah, this is why like the conservatives, when they were in power, they didn't take apart the CanCon system. It wasn't working then either. But every government is afraid to touch it, I think, because it's just like, it's just not worth it. It's complex. And Definitely the solution of taking it one-to-one from traditional broadcast to the online era. These platforms work so differently that you're just going to end up with all sorts of problems that I would say are foreseeable. But when you deal with uh, the government, they tend to miss some of uh, those unintended consequences. They have no fucking idea what they're doing. And it's what I've been saying since the beginning of this. It's so funny that I'm getting bashed by all these morons because because like I've been hating this bill before it was cool but you know and and like practically what is the implication for me I got calls from two different national news organizations that never would cover CRTC regulations but because Elon Musk is talking about it they're going to do a story story. about it which we'll get to that in a bit but you know so okay now we know the podcaster implicated let's call a podcaster and that gave me an opportunity to dump on this bill, not because it's a anti-free speech bill, but because of what it really means for me. And like, well, you're not making $10 million a year, so this doesn't apply to you, right? Like, well, no, we're not making $10 million a year, but we rely on Apple Podcasts and we rely on Spotify. And they are making much more than $10 million a year in Canada. And I have no idea what it's going to mean you know, it's one thing to go to Netflix and say, okay, now you've got to put money into making CanCon and you've got to have a little box for Canadian Con, which they already have anyhow. And that's like, it's very helpful because that's where I know what to ignore is in that Canada box. But if you go to Apple Podcasts, it's like, well, we don't actually make podcasts except for that we do. They yeah. make a few, but mostly we're an indexing service and we just allow people to get their podcasts here. And That is where most people get their podcasts, that or Spotify. So by regulating these major platforms, which are the avenue through which people find content, you are effectively applying regulation to the content. It'd be similar to say, oh, we don't protect the telecom industry because we don't regulate your very specific cell phone. Well, no, you still have to buy a cell phone plan from one of these oligopolies, and we still end up paying a lot more. So legislation like this has trickle-down effects. Yes, but no one knows what they are or what they're going to be. I mean— They haven't even defined what Canadian content is, which is a major issue. That's right. So we're just getting these little tea leaves. Like, this was the first indication where they come out and say, okay, podcasts are now covered under the Broadcasting Act. We didn't know that before this came out. This is a big deal if you care about these things in Canada. I don't know why Elon Musk would care. But it is a big deal, largely because it leaves the industry in this state of like, uh, like— what if Apple just says, look, we don't make money off of podcasts in Canada, so now you're asking us to spend all this money. No, we're just going to turn it off. That would be ruinous for podcasting in Canada. And it would be so easy for these tech giants. Canada is not a major player on the world stage in terms of population, in terms of ad dollars. So some of these, let's say Spotify decides it's just not worth it or Twitch pulls out. At that point, you're denying Canadian creators, media companies, artists, these avenues to get their work out there. And that is a problem for free expression and a problem for innovation as well. If that were to happen to Spotify or to Apple, I don't know how we would stay in business. And I don't think the government knows what's going to happen. I think they felt like it's like a game of chicken of like, as if you're going to turn it off here. You guys are these big, rich Silicon Valley. Well, they're not making that much money in Canada, and they're really afraid of regulation like this happening elsewhere. So in certain cases, we've seen it happen with Facebook, with, the, with Bill C-18. Yeah, they didn't think Meta was going to turn off news either, or maybe yeah. Google 
coming up, right? Google, so. And Google, we just learned, is like uh, not satisfied with the government's concessions on C-18 and they're threatening to just tr- like you search for news in Canada and you don't get it. That's what we're looking at here. So the impacts of this stuff, it does have impacts on free expression. I don't think Trudeau is a tyrant trying to crush free expression. I think he was just trying to like do a favor for some client industries in the film and TV business and then get to posture as the savior of art and culture in CanCon. Absolutely. I think, like you said, it's doing friends favors, but it also very much fits in with their government's philosophy is more regulation is often better. And especially if they can tie it into some moral argument about diversity and inclusion, they're on that. Yeah. And and it's like reckless because what actually happens down the line, they kind of wash their hands of that. And the minister who, who we were fighting with about this leaves. And, you know, now there's some new minister, you know, like who is actually responsible Who's for accountable? No one. Yeah. So like it's it's maddening if you're like, we were actually like running a business and succeeding. And now we're like, okay, so now no one can find us through Facebook. Like, good luck getting investment mm-hmm. for a new podcast company in Canada. Nobody knows what what's next. We've been hearing this from YouTube creators. They've been warning, and you you wrote about this, like, okay, here's another problem. You know, it's one thing that they're not going to tax me, the you know, individual YouTube creator, but they're gonna they're gonna tax YouTube and, and they're gonna also have these discovery laws on YouTube where Canadian content, it's not just giving the Canada box, it's that the algorithm has to push the Canadian content. Most people who make digital content in Canada are not so stupid as to call their company Canada Land. <laughs> they understand that you can, from Canada, access a global audience. You've done okay. Ten years today, I hear. Ten years today. We're doing okay. Some people are doing incredibly well, and they have audiences of, like, hundreds of millions around the world. They know how the YouTube algorithm works. And if the YouTube algorithm is forced to prioritize Canadian content, but people don't want it, then the algorithm automatically says, oh, we served a little bit of this content, and then the person went to the next video. So then it immediately downgrades that content. So there could be there could be a backlash against the content, and a system in which a lot of people are finding ways to build businesses and succeed is now like actually handicapping Canadian content. Absolutely, like you said, whether it's TikTok or YouTube, how algorithms work is they look at engagement, watch time, repeat views, likes, comments, and so even if you have more viewers in that initial seed round, those videos or podcasts aren't going to get upgraded by the algorithm and really have a chance of growing audiences or going viral. And that's a major problem. Now, the people pushing for C11 can say, hey, algorithms just do what programmers ask them to do. So you could just say, don't do that anymore. Why YouTube hates this shit and all of the tech platforms hate this is you're really getting into their secret sauce. Like it's not even about the money for a lot of them because like it's kind of peanuts. Some of them are saying like, look, if you want to tax us, just tax us. But what you're doing is you're trying to rewrite our content algorithms, which is our business. It's the essence of their business. So they're very protective about like it's it's a real danger. I think it's very possible that they will start shutting off services in Canada to create a cautionary tale. And what implications does that have on other tech companies or startups in Canada? If you're saying the government can come in and impact your algorithms, your intellectual property, this could go way beyond just media or podcast, right? Yeah, this is a real mess. And it, and it comes from this arrogance that like they could regulate this and to regulate it, they have to understand it, but they don't understand. Like they, they've been insisting like, don't worry, this isn't going to affect users. Like, like there's this hard line between user generated content and commercial content, or that there's this very hard line between a platform and the creators who use the platform. Like Apple is, yes, it's an index for podcasts, which is excluded from this, but it also sells subscriptions to podcasts and they also make their own podcasts. So that line isn't as as clear as the government wants it to be. 
they think there's a line separating legacy broadcasters from digital publishers, but every legacy broadcaster is also a digital publisher. So like, all of this stuff is way blurrier than regulation needs it to be. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the outcome right now, which is like, it's going to take years for the dust to settle and everyone to know what it actually means, who's going to win, who's going to lose, who's going to get money, who's going to get downvoted. But in the meantime, there's uncertainty and markets hate uncertainty. Investors hate uncertainty. It's hard to grow a business in an atmosphere of uncertainty. It's it's hard to get capital. Like this is happening now and it sucks. For sure. Yeah. Uncertainty is a killer for entrepreneurship. And the people who are going to be most economically impacted by this are young people, are people who don't already have wealth, are people who want to be entrepreneurs. And People who have established networks and wealth have always found ways to get their voice out there and have a microphone. And part of the great thing about the internet is it democratized the ability to have that megaphone. Yeah. And so if you're taking away some of that, that's where you get the democratic backsliding online. So I don't know, maybe it's a it's a distinction without a difference. I don't think that Trudeau is trying to crush free speech. He but just, he might be doing it anyways. Yeah, I might just get I might get bruised by accident. But I don't, you don't need to give him as much credit to say it's intentional. I don't think it's a tyrant thing. I think I think I think it's a hapless, like foolish uh, incursion. But you know, look, I, I don't want to get uh hysterical about it. Like I, I think that maybe like I do feel like digital creators are endlessly creative and like we find ways to route around problems. And like, if, if you get kicked off one platform, but like, I don't know, but I'm getting older and I've like invested a lot into building audiences on certain platforms. I don't need like, oh shit, I better take my show to TikTok now. Like, yeah, I, I don't need You've invested that. time, advertising dollars, creating content. And we're also in an era where I think social media is actually coalescing around certain public squares, so to speak, rather than constantly having these new platforms that are finding it harder and harder to compete. I mean, look at the search for Twitter competitor after Elon took it over. Yeah. How many started up and, you know, you'd start that, get a thousand followers, and two weeks later, the platform's completely dead. So getting removed or having to leave these big platforms is a really big deal. Yeah, I've been just writing a pornographic Twilight fanfic on threads just to see if anybody would notice that that's what I'm doing. How's there. that going? Uh, I mean, I'm expressing myself, you know, but uh, no, I haven't been noticed yet. So any day now. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. It's your first time here. It is. One thing I can tell you about the show is that we consider it uh, a crime against humanity for important news stories to go unnoticed or under-noticed, so we duly note them. I'm going to kick it off here by noting not really a news story, but uh, definitely a, a little bit of media here, kind of a historic election this week in Manitoba with the uh, victory of Wabkanoo, not the first uh, First Nations premier. That would have been, uh, I believe, in the Northwest Territories. Yes, but uh, Manitoba's first Indigenous premier. The first First Nations premier of a province. That is true and definitely worth noting. Um, but what I'm going to note is a desperate last-minute full-page ad the progressive conservatives took out. I've never seen a political ad like this before. It's like this kind of blurry, almost like like it feels like we're spying on somebody in the voting booth. And you can't really see her face. She's this white woman that is voting and you can we're, we're spying on her from behind. And it says, you're in the voting booth alone. During an election, it's okay to disagree on issues without the fear of being judged. Vote like no one's watching because no one is. Now, I'm reading between the lines here, and I know that this is an election where the conservatives are running on a platform of parents' rights when it comes to trans issues in the schools, and they're voting on a platform of let's not look for the bodies of those murdered indigenous women. So some people might be ashamed to vote for the conservatives who are running on such a positive platform like that. So on Twitter, Melissa Martin quipped, nobody has to know you voted for us. It can be our little secret is an absolutely incredible campaign message. So it truly is. In fact, their entire campaign was quite confusing, as you said, uh, especially when I think you're dealing in an environment where conservatives have a natural message for voters, especially around the surrounding the economy. They're always been seen as more fiscally responsible. So to make some of the choices they made, particularly with the billboards about not searching for the missing Indigenous woman, why would you make that an election issue? Put up billboards. If your position is you don't want to search, okay, but then maybe that's just something you say once in response to an interview question. You don't have to go around town plastering it all over the walls. Well, I love that it's simultaneously plastered on the walls, but also it's it's our little secret that we don't <laughs> yeah, really want to do contradictory. that. So I don't know. I hesitate to congratulate Wab Canoe on this politically neutral platform of ours. Uh, I will say to voters out there, grow up, stick around long enough, get old enough, and you will see mediocre rappers become premiers of provinces. Duly noted. Sabrina, do you have a news story to duly note today? It's more of a new stat, I would say. Okay. Uh, Urban Nation, which follows real estate in Canada and does analysis, just came out with the new average rent across Canada. And it's $2,117, which is up 9.6% over last year. And last year was also a record high. I write a lot about housing affordability. And I think too often in politics, that conversation centers on ownership alone. And renters shouldn't get left behind. Obviously, 
getting more people to own homes is important. But any of those solutions are going to take a decade at least to come online. So we need, in the meantime, solutions where we can make renting more appealing. Because renting isn't inherently bad. It's just bad in Canada through policy choices we've made. Uh, One of those, for example, is it makes it really hard to save for retirement or have the same sort of social and financial mobility as a homeowner. Uh, Something they could look at is the capital gains exemption. That's not going anywhere, but maybe instead you have a lifetime capital gains exemption for everyone Mm -hmm. so that renters aren't inherently financially disadvantaged. I hope politicians pay more attention to that because the housing crisis is not just an ownership crisis. You know, it's funny to see the media for so many years in Canada just be so house horny and like, yay, housing prices surge again. And then all of a sudden one day they're like, oh, renters. Uh, yeah. Let's, About that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe there's a relationship between these two. Maybe. Duly noted. I got one last one here, and that is uh, I, I just have to mention this uh, Canadian press story that I read in the Globe and Mail. Here's the headline. Grizzly that killed two in Banff National Park was old. Had bad teeth, Parks Canada says. Now, Sabrina, I I understand the unfortunate reality that when an animal turns against humans, it has to be destroyed. But do we have to insult it in the media? Seems like overkill. No pun intended. <laughs> Grizzly was unpleasant, had bad breath. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> of course he was unpleasant. He tried to eat people. Duly noted. This episode is brought to everybody by the Douglas Mattress, a mattress that is trusted by more than 150,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. The Douglas Mattress is produced proudly in Canada. It has a universally comfortable firmness. Anyone in the universe would find this very comfortable. I've I've, uh, experienced the Douglas Mattress. It's super comfortable. The price point is very reasonable given how high quality this thing is. Sleeping cool is important. Oh, that's a big one. I'm a hot sleeper. I am as well, and it's like August in October. It's freaky weird, and having a special cooling gel foam for a cool and comforting and conforming sleep surface is super important. You get free stuff when you buy one of these mattresses. You like free stuff? Everybody likes free stuff. Everyone likes free stuff. Listeners of this podcast get a free mattress bundle up to $650 in value. When you buy a mattress, you get, with a queen-size mattress, sheets, a mattress protector, two memory foam pillows, and two pillow protectors. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. One last time, it's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. All right, I want to come back to Elon Musk here in a bit of a different way, because I think that we did the responsible journalistic thing first, and we we brought light where there was only heat, and we've explained some stuff about Bill C-11. But the heat, the heat is hot between Glenn Greenwald and Elon Musk. Like 160 million people are like, reading about Trudeau the tyrant. And this is increasingly the way in which the world talks about Canada. I went to Canada to find out how ordinary Canadians are dealing with Trudeau's radical reforms. Today we will take a look at what this all means for the freedom of speech and expression in Canada, and what actions like these might reflect on the controversial and potentially dangerous direction Trudeau and the current Liberals' authoritarian government are moving towards. They're fucked. They're fucked. They got to get rid of that guy. I didn't even, I, I liked him. I liked him before the pandemic. Trudeau? Yeah, good looking guy, confident, good talker. Yeah. And then during the pandemic, I'm like, oh, you're a fucking dictator. So that's a little medley from uh, non-Canadian media, both like your Joe Rogans, but also like there's like a newspaper that's like this documentary on the tyranny in Canada. Millions of people 
our experience in Canada through this dialogue of Trudeau as a dictator. Mm. Now, to the question, why does Elon Musk give a damn about CRTC regulation? He doesn't. I would say that what Elon Musk is up to is basically like just searching through any little piece of minutia he can to find things he can cherry pick consistent with with a narrative he's putting forward, which is like the World Economic Forum and the neoliberal elites are, are, are the new tyrants and they're trying to suppress. Because I think he is engaged in this larger campaign of trying to minimize and destabilize whatever you want to call it, information that comes from trusted sources. We're seeing this through everything he's doing on Twitter would indicate that that's what this is about is, is like seizing power by fiat over not just traditional news, but like world leadership that he considers part of some wokeness. Well, he also likes to position himself as a free speech warrior. That's part of his brand and what he likes his followers to believe, even though he's incredibly inconsistent on that. Since he took over Twitter, people have been kicked off and suspended for really frivolous reasons. And at the same time, the rules aren't enforced on people who are actually discouraging free speech by harassing people, death threats, rape threats. Elon Musk is this Dr. Doom-like supervillain who has like, a, it's actually fascinating, I, you know. It, it's not really what I want to focus on today so much as like, it's, it's, I guess, interesting to an extent that all around the world, Trudeau is this interesting punching bag. And it's sort of like live by the sword, die by the sword. We all talked in 2015 about how the world was so entranced with Trudeau and he was on the cover of GQ magazine. And, you know, he was like positioned as like this really like dashing beautiful figure. And I think that like that creates something that, that you can have a backlash to. And that's what we're seeing now. What I'm really concerned about is, or at least want to talk with you about is that we then integrate that dialogue back into our political discourse. What do I mean? I mean, stuff like this. The bottom line is Trudeau wants all the media to be controlled by a small group of state and corporate media that support him so that Canadians cannot hear alternative views. And that is the real danger here. He is alone among democratic countries in, uh, in censoring our news. Uh, it is scary, actually, that this is happening in Canada. But the good news is... It's scary, says Pierre Polyev. And, and his director of communications, Sarah Fisher, she's very scared. Here's what she tweeted. Under the autocratic rule of Justin Trudeau, Canada has devolved into a dystopian government-controlled nightmare. And journalist Stephen Meyer is like, this is not normal. That's not a typical argument for the decom of the opposition to make. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like they are trying to, like, they want to use that, like, Game of Thrones, like, in a world where Justin Trudeau is worse than Hitler. We have been looking into the Justin Trudeau as a punching bag internationally thing. We have an investigation coming out on Monday that I think is going to knock people's socks off of, of just how popular a message this is. But you just interviewed Pierre Polyev. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the way in which he seems to be like weaponizing and piggybacking these pretty extreme melodramatic messages? I think it's an issue with social media and the internet era in general that rewards saying the most catchy thing that gets people's attention in the simplest sort of way. Uh, there are a lot of Canadians that are very concerned about freedom of speech. And when you're looking at whether it's C-18 or C-11 or other measures, you should be having complex and nuanced conversations about those. But it's a lot easier to just say something about censorship, and that gets people's antenna going, and they respond to that. So it's trying to play into voters' emotions, when I would like to see politicians try to have more in-depth conversations with potential voters. 
I mean, I get it. Like I said, I was getting calls from national news organizations who were only covering this because Elon Musk spoke up about it, right? So from a Pierre Polyev perspective, from a conservative party perspective, they are putting wind in his sails. Like they are just like pushing him into office. And the polling would suggest like it is not his job to try to calm down the anti-Trudeau rhetoric. He's going to lean into it. Absolutely. That's democracy. That's the job. By the same token, he has to get like kind of arm in arm with some real nutcases. And it was funny watching you interview him. Welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Good to be with you. So a profile came out on you earlier this year and it was headlined, Why Are You So Angry? Do you consider yourself an angry person? No, and actually that is a big misconception of my campaign. A lot of, you know, the people with loud voices in this country, the media, the establishment, assume that anybody who's looking for change uh, is angry. Like your first question was like, you seem pretty angry. Like what's up with the anger? And he's like, I don't think I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Like uh, he always has to thread this needle and kind of gaslight when he's in the National Post's newsroom answering questions from a journalist. So it's always like, yeah, Alex Jones says that like Trudeau is a demon who sucks the eyeballs out of children. Will you refute that message? And he's going to be like, well, you know, metaphorically, you know, if you look at Trudeau's housing policy, he's not unlike. Uh, there's something demonic about his foreign Like he's got to find some way. Do you know way. what I think though when – he is having those conversations. We saw what happened when Trudeau demonized a lot of people during the pandemic. I think that's pretty well acknowledged across the political spectrum when you imply that people are racist or sexist or lesser than for personal decisions that they've made. We see this in the parental rights debate right now. There are a lot of parents that are concerned, and we could probably have reasonable adult conversations about that. But instead, the choice is to brand them all as far-right monsters. So I actually think we need to be more collective in how we're speaking to people in politics rather than shutting people out, which is how you're going to push even more people to the fringes. I think that that's the justification. And I, I think that Trudeau made a, a really stupid tactical mistake. And I think that he always makes the mistake of, like, posturing as the good guy. Well, it's made it really hard to, to have these conversations because, you know, I definitely thought that some of the people who were uh, showing up in Ottawa were just people who were suffering and they were not necessarily like the ones who were saying that, you know, you, you, there were people saying atrocious things. There were people who were harassing people misogynistically. And, yeah, and, and there are always some in any movement, but I do think it's important to highlight, like you said, a lot of this did come from pain. And I hear from a lot of people who, you know, might have been part of the convoy and the majority of them really, really wanted to do the right thing, I think, for the country, and they were suffering from pain. And to have have them told over and over again they're bad people, they're criminals, they're all racists or Nazis, that was very unhelpful and I think has actually made the discourse worse today. Yeah, I, I want to I don't think that that Trudeau called them Nazis, but but I, I think that there was an insult that was like heard that was intended. And I think that was divisive and that's made it harder to have to have conversations. But there is kind of like a like, well, they're doing it too. This is the drum that Polyev beats again and again and again. And what I don't know is, can he do this thing that I think mainstream conservatism wants him to do, which is like, look, we get it. You have to go on the crypto podcast and you have to walk arm in arm with Elon Musk to win in a country like Canada. But once you're prime minister, you're going to be a nice little technocratic Harperite, right? I don't know about that. I think that you're writing checks to some really scary people in the campaign. And I don't know that, like, he can kind of bifurcate his personality to the degree that people are hoping that he's going to. I think he's going to be prime minister. 
And I think he's going to like be prime minister on one of the most extremist, radical platforms of weirdo rhetoric that Canada has ever seen. And but then what in his he's platform just is extremist or radical right now that you've seen? Well, I guess defunding the CBC. I wouldn't go so far as to say that's extremist or radical. At a time when the news coverage in Canada is in a complete freefall crisis and there's lots of communities that just don't even have news and we need the CBC more than ever, I, I would say that a lot of people would consider that to be an extreme incursion into the public sphere in Canada to just defund the CBC. I think, I think that's a legitimate opinion, absolutely, to have that conversation. I think that's different than calling it radical. And if you look at the polling, there is a lot of concern about the CBC and their funding and their mandate. Yeah, which, you know, should lead us to, like, having a conversation about how we can make it better. But rather than debate with you, like, like yeah. it's it seems like, just so I understand your argument, it seems like you are saying he may sound extreme, but his policies aren't extreme. Is that is that what you think? I haven't seen any extreme policies come out of him. Uh-huh. So you do think that this is like the poetry with which he campaigns in and then he'll he'll govern in prose. He'll be like a pretty sober dude once he's prime minister. I would say so far everything we've seen policy-wise from him has been sober. Mm-hmm. I think that there are certain types of currents and motivations in people that once you stir them, you can't necessarily turn that off. And I think that he's been pretty reckless in shaking that cage and whipping up that kind of Hatred in an us versus them, in a war against wokeism, he's he, like diving headfirst into the most divisive politics that everybody is like, I think, really choking on right now. I don't know that the anger is being whipped up. I think there is a lot of anger to begin with. And when you talk about us versus them, like we were just talking about with the pandemic or whether we were talking about cancel culture. This comes from somewhere and those divisions are already there. So to simply not talk about them and ignore them and push them even further to the fringes, in my opinion, isn't the solution. Yeah. I agree with one thing, which is I think we have to keep talking about this, which is like... I, like I, we are right now. Like we are right now. Are you not worried about about this stuff, about the tenor of, of the conversation, about, about just how... I mean, we're, we're watching larger global trends play out with populism that, that, that are not just about words. Like, that we're, we're seeing how this stuff gets converted into policy all around the world. And, you know, people are dying in certain circumstances. None of this concerns you? Of course there are concerning elements. But I'd become more concerned if certain things came into policy. But I haven't seen any, again, thing radical or extreme or that would um, harm certain groups coming out of um, the policy wing. Uh, you know what? There's like a, I, I, my, my mind is going through everything from uh, housing to safe supply. I want to have those debates with you. And uh, I think we don't have people on the show enough who disagree with me. Are you going to come back on the show again? I would love to come back and have those debates with you. Sabrina, that shortcuts for this week. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listen, now is the time. There will not be journalism in this country if people do not support journalism. And we are asking you to support Canada Land on this, our 10th birthday. Please go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes. Just do it. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. I can be emailed about anything you heard today at jesse at canadaland.com. Our website is canadaland.com. Sabrina, where can people find you and your work? At Sabrina Meadow on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to email me, it's sabrina.meadow at gmail.com. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofo. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by So-Called. Syndications handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. 
Once again, you can become a supporter at canadaland.com slash join. We need you to. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.